Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the AEW Dynamite Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamford and Michael Sidgwick, here to discuss everything that happened on last night's episode of AEW Dynamite Fights for the Fallen. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review AEW Dynamite, but also Raw, SmackDown, NXT, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week, complete with a bloody quiz, of course, on wrestling. As I said, they're joined by Hamlet and Sidhuk to review AEW Dynamite and a hectic, wild show, as expected, Michael Sidgwick. This program, this company is so wild, white-hot, interesting in every single way, detailed, that I'm not going to just give my succinct to take before we get into it. Like, I'll hand over to Hamlet, but I'm just going to go beat by beat. Otherwise, I'll be here all day. My goodness, my goodness. I cannot get over how hot this product is. Hot is the word. Um, and I say like hot product because a hot product is something WWE can never be again, not in this version of itself. It's not a product, it's content. The different uh, younger fans or even listeners to this podcast maybe can't discern between the two, but a content and a product is so different. And this product is hot. And when a wrestling product is hot, you can test the margins of what's even any good. Like I thought last week, like, and this week, substantial portions of this show weren't maybe very good, I don't think, purely judged quality-wise, in terms of, like, comparing it to, say, Dynamite from 2020, either in the February run-up that you loved or in, like, I loved The Daily's Place, like, summer last year. I think there's a lot to pick at as we go through this. But goddamn, this product is just white-looking hot. And almost everything gets some sort of amazing reaction. Um, almost everything's over the live crowd. The big stories are hitting. The big reveals are hitting even more so in this episode in particular. And the end result is like these perhaps what would be objectively middling dynamites turn out to be absolutely historic. It's it's the coolest thing. Um, better that, quite honestly, than some of the stuff that like I may be critical of over the course of this week, better this way around because a hot product when it's hot is thrilling. And the bits at this show that were thrilling were just like era definingly good. Mm. A really enjoyable show and some surprises, uh, as you say, dotted throughout it, which 
Uh, I sense a few of them got Michael Cedric. One in particular, I can already tell, got him very excited. But we'll get to that in due course, of course. Uh, let's start with the opener, uh, which we well, we didn't call, let's be honest, on the preview in terms of the result. Um, but I'm sure we'll get into the justifications behind it as we talk about it. It was the five-on-five -five match, the Elite uh, versus Hangman Page in the Dark Order. The show starts with a wonderful package talking about cowboy spirit and they get this special entrance with spotlights and a remix of the hangman page theme and people in purple gear michael hamplet but then the That's real the baby happened. go on then the real <laughs> baby faces come out because just like you know people say oh if you come out in a box you're automatically over uh, well, if you come out in uh, Space Jam gear, then I automatically you think you are the baby faces in the match. And that's exactly what the elite did. Um, Kenny Air Omega and his pals, they come out to, you're ready for this. Um, Gallows has got 69 on his back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. I'm going to just run through the entire match because it's easier than going back and forth with you two about each particular segment. And then I'll just, I don't know, go and make myself a coffee for 20 minutes as you deal with the ins and outs of it. So we start off with Hangman Page and Kenny Omega. Psych, bollocks to you guys. Of course we don't. Uh, Omega immediately tags out. Carl uh, Anderson comes in. Uh Page hits a fall away slam, but of course, then immediately Kenny Omega jumps in. Big old free for all. Uh, and in the end, it concludes with uh, Alex Reynolds superplexing Nick Jackson onto everyone on the outside. Later on, uh, Reynolds gets overpowered by Anderson. They do that what thing where everyone gets hit, hit, hit a corner clothesline on him, except for Gallows. Uh, Reynolds dodges out of the way, and the Dark Order do the exact thing that the, uh, the Elite were just doing to Reynolds. But... The finish for Alex Reynolds sees him rolled up by Anderson with a hang handful of his trunks for the first elimination in this five-on-five -five match. Um, Anderson, though, gets surrounded by the Dark Order. Uh, Uno and Grayson hit the fatality on him. He is eliminated. It's now four-on-four. Four. Stay with me. Uh, huge succession of massive moves, uh, including uh, Stu Grayson hitting a... I don't know, springboard, twisty, flippy thing onto the floor. Look bonkers. Uh, I hope he was all right because he was just, I saw immediately Johnny Hungy was just like, are you okay, mate? Uh, that's basically what happened there. Um, Gallo sends uh, Grayson into the crowd. Grayson climbs a balcony and hits a bloody diving axe handle onto him. They brawl all over the place. They are both counted out. We are down to three on three. It's Uno and Omega in the ring. I can't believe I'm saying that, considering where they were two years ago or whatever it was. Um, Uno hits a Hurricane Rana, hits a flatliner on Omega, goes up top, goes for the senton bomb, uh, but Omega gets his knees up, V-trigger, one winging angel on Evil Uno, and yeah, he doesn't kick out of that. It is three on two. So it's the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus Johnny Hungy and Hangman Page. During the break, the Young Bucks powerbomb Page onto the apron uh, but Silver fights on regardless as we come back from the break he is just running wild all over the place eventually gets overwhelmed by um, Nick Jackson and Kenny Omega teaming together teaming up uh, hitting him with brutal uh, German suplexes and the like Brandon Cutler who Throughout the match was cold spraying people, particularly obviously the young books to make sure they recover. Uh, he lines up the basketball hoop that I forgot to mention was there at the beginning. And the young books go to hit uh, the indie taker, Meltzer drive, whatever you want to call it, on the floor. They do on uh, on John Silver. 
And I don't know whether this was deliberate or accidental, but it, I think I was talking to Andy this morning with you, uh, and he said that you said this, Hampler. It sort of works both ways, that they completely missed the, the slam dunk. It was uh, me, was, again! To apologise. Please! Um, in the midst of all that, uh, yeah, they, they nail him with the bloody Meltzer driver on the floor. So obviously they bring him in, hit the BTE trigger and eliminate John Silver. It is now the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page all on his own. Uh, so we finally get Kenny Omega versus Hangman Page one-on-one. He spits in his face. He doesn't need any more encouragement, Kenny. He didn't need to do that. Anyway, uh, he hits a V-trigger. Page fights back, running uppercut. But the Bucks come in, double super kicks. Uh, Kenny Omega gets involved as well. They get a near fall off the back of that. A draping 450 splash. Another two count. Page hits a moonsault on all three of them. Omega fights back, chops him. Page just hits him with a stack powerbomb, but the Bucks dive in to break up the pin. Uh, Page gets shoved by Matt Jackson and he lands perfectly in bookshot lariat position. Fights off uh, one of the Bucks. Uh, no, then, then, then he's able to uh, hit a double bookshot on both Bucks, pinning Matt Jackson for an elimination. In the midst of all this, it might be later on. I'm just going to mention it now in case I forget. There was a wonderful call back to obviously Hangman Page holding onto the, one of the Bucks' legs. I can't remember exactly where that happened, but it happened just we said it was going to happen. We're right again, basically. Uh, <laughs> Kenny Omega tries to use one of his many belts. The official stops him. Uh, Kenny Omega just goes, I'll just use a different one whilst you're getting rid of that. Page dodges it, hits the dead eye. Great near fall or fall if you're Jim Ross. Uh, Kenny Omega <laughs> uh, dodges a bookshot lariat, hits uh, Page with the belt, gets a near fall off that. You think maybe, maybe he can survive. No, Kenny Omega, two V triggers, one winged angel. The elite have effectively screwed Hangman Page by using foreign objects in what would have been a fair fight. Uh, so Kenny Omega hits the one wing angel. One, two, three. The elite defeat Hangman Page and the Dark Order. Another stumbling block for Hangman Page. I'm breathless just describing it, Sidgwick. Uh, and I know you were bouncing off the walls watching it this morning. Yes, I'm. bear with me. This is going to feel like criticism. It really isn't. I would be lying if I said this didn't meet my expectations. But that is because my expectations were for the first ever six-star American TV match. I wasn't there. Emotionally, in the last five to seven minutes, this was overwhelming, incredible. Everything I wanted to feel, I felt during this. The balance of hope and despair when you saw, as so beautifully mirrored, the closing moments of the Revolution post-match angle when Paige was on the outside of the ropes and he saw all three of them there. How it's become those three are together and yet I'm the partner too. Well, I was just the partner. Those three are together. Just absolutely gorgeous visual storytelling. So yeah, the last five to seven minutes, the drama was so unbelievable. You kept thinking there's three of them. He can't pin three champions. That's not how AEW books. It's a little bit of a trite way of doing it. If they do it, it will feel a little bit like we're going to get bad faith mutant actors the next day saying, oh God, super hangman, they've botched him. And yet you wanted him desperately to pin all three champions. You knew he couldn't do it. You were desperate for him to do it at various points with the magnificent precision of the offense. That powerbomb was unbelievable, like right on his neck. Like the dead eye, one of the best near falls I've seen in recent years. Unbelievable. Yeah, the last five to seven minutes of this were awesome. 
I kind of wanted, I won't lie, uh, Super Smash Brothers versus Young Bucks, like match, just a little mini match for five minutes to build towards all of that wonderful emotional heft at the end. Because I think it was missing, like oddly considering the players involved, that proper exhilaration before exhilaration and emotion were fused together in this package that only the elite can do. So it was a little bit lacking in that. Here's what I think they decided to do and why I don't quite think it landed as well as they thought it did on paper. With every member of the Dark Order getting eliminated, with the exception of Uno, the idea was let's give them all a great spot Mm. and build the idea that, oh, they wanted to fight really hard, but that it's not as good as the Elite. So to articulate that story beat, they had Alex Reynolds do the superplex to the outside, him doing some classic Beaver Boy stuff um, with Silver, then he was gone. Grayson did that incredible corkscrew, then he was gone. Uno didn't do that much, really. I thought you could have got a near fall, at least on Omega. That didn't happen. Then John Silver got his absolute overkill and like elimination. Like They had to kill him just to get rid of him. He did his awesome spot on the outside at the commercials, as far as I can tell from the commentary. I watched it all on fight, so I was buzzing. So yeah, I would put this in the four-star range. I was expecting a five, but it's just the standards you get and you can't really quibble. Um, but two more things. So I am wary of how long this podcast is going to go. <laughs> Presentation was immaculate of the Dark Order. Like absolute perfect, luxurious details that only this company, I think, has ever been able to do. Just, he spent years, or months, sorry, as Hangman, just reluctantly and then slowly actually joining the Dark Order, feeling himself not worthy of the support network. And it's crystallized now and it's beautiful. It's glorious. It's all reflected in the gear. That's great. The Space Jam stuff, I can understand why it would be divisive, but it was piss funny. They are treating these Dark Order, dark order lads like it's a lark. Like, that's good heat. I'm sorry, that is good heat. It's funny. The basketball stuff, like, Nick Jackson's pissing himself coming up with that spot, because as I said, sorry, it works either way. Either he's the prat who doesn't do it, or he's the dickhead who does, and those two words are not synonyms. And lastly, the belt stuff was great. The tagging and the singles. I mean, it's just the details company. Utterly rewarding if you pay the strictest of attention. And the ending was so genuinely emotionally felt that it almost detracted the next 20 minutes of the show because people were gutted, mm-hmm. as, as was I, that Hangman Page didn't do it. Here's what AEW is so great at. Do not worry. And trust me, I will be burying this harder than I've buried anything from WWE if this doesn't pan out. It won't get ruined, but I will bury it if it does because of the amount of investment they've put in and I've put in. Right now, it feels like all hope is lost. Like, all hope is lost. This is what we talk about when we talk about drama. It feels like it's all gone. He's completely... I haven't botched the chance. He fought to the death, but it's gone. It's gone. The parameters of the stipulation means he can't challenge it all out. People are gutted about this. At All Out, you are going to feel as high as you felt low when that match finished. And that is total drama. It's genius storytelling. And I'm scared that they don't get there, but that's how I'm meant to feel. 
yeah, the the hurdle that we all sort of predicted there would be one more hurdle for Hangman Page. The hurdle is not the loss, the pinfall loss here. The hurdle is the fact that he lost after at the start of this match, putting his hand up to say that he was with the Dark Order, and that seemed to be the thing that finally made him whole. And it turns out it's not that, and that's almost better that that's happened because they have never skewed easy trying to explain the complexities of mental health in the storyline. And the easy answer is surround yourself with people that love you. They will help lift you up and you will be able to pull yourself out of this and win at the end of the day. Mental health isn't as simple and as straightforward as that. He is still lost in spite of taking all those steps. There is one last step for him to take. He's got to feel it 100% himself. And there is the sense that he can do if all things are even, if all things are fair. They couldn't have worked harder. I thought the guts on this finish for all the different fantasy booking we came to and I like a little sort of touch on that myself in a minute but for all the things that we would have called the guts on them to go with that three-on-one finish for the revolution callback I thought were incredible for your tv match that we've said is the match to build the match to go with that as your finishing stretch to create the hope for hangman page because I share Cedric's emotional investment completely in those last five minutes that sinking feeling that he wasn't going to win battling with the hope that he would was was the drama and it was amazing drama and it was felt by everybody watching at home and everybody in the building. And that's perfect because it's your top baby face and it's how you should feel about a baby face that has got doubts and has got fears and is a different kind of baby face than any baby face we've had before. Perfect. Um, just absolutely brilliant um, storytelling in the last five minutes. And I also, I don't think it's a generous take to say that the, the Space Jam look helped sort of helped move this angle along that they're not taking the Dark Order seriously. They're scared enough of Hangman Page to cheat even in a three-on-one, but they're not scared of the Dark Order. And I thought that was pretty cool as well because there's going to come a day where they should be. The Young Bucks one day should be worried about Grayson and Uno giving them the fright of the lies in a tag team title match, for example, or what John Silver can do, uh, Carl Anderson, or however they kind of split that off. Um, I was a little bit disappointed in the middle portion of this match. I was just bouncing off the walls like the Elite's basketballs for the entrances, like the work that was put into that Dark Order video and, you know, everything that came with that entrance. Of course, like Paige's gear and, again, the acknowledgement when he put his hand up with them. So much to that. So months and months and months to get that moment, you know. Um, I was a little bit let down by the middle portion of this match um, because I just didn't think... It didn't look to me like they'd put as much thought in as they could have done, and it probably is the difference between the four-star and the six-star TV match. Um but I can't complain that loudly because I was completely invested, bouncing off the walls invested um, on a bowl of cereal at one in the morning over the last five minutes. And that's ultimately what you want. You want that more than yeah. popping, daft, fa- popping daft for your fantasy booking ideas coming to life in the middle section. I, d- I did think they had something a little bit more in the tank. So it's because of the players, isn't it? It's because the Young Bucks and Kenny, especially, have set expectations for these multi-mans that I don't think were hit for a 10-minute spell in the middle. Maybe they were conscious of what was going to get lost to commercial breaks. First ever count out in Dynamite history, ever, in the middle of this. You know, you've had like Orange Cassidy and Pac were counted down. Avalon and uh, Help Us Out had it on Dark. Yeah, had it on Dark, thank you. Never on Dynamite before. So that's been used. That's interesting. Like, they've never had to use a, a count out and they've done it in the body of an elimination tag instead of in a match that was going to make fans feel ripped off. That's pretty inspired too. Mm. But I just... Yeah, I think it was okay to maybe want a little bit more than what we got in the middle portion of this. No, I completely agree. Before we move on quickly, I know we're going to spend a lot of time on a lot of things. I just felt, as I mentioned, those spots that were constructed to allow each guy to shine. 
I felt it was a little bit on the nose. Like, oh, we need to get this guy to impress. So let's craft, and I use craft in the pretty flimsy sense of the word. Let's craft a spot around getting each guy to shine before we bop them out and get to the finish. And it's like, I would have enjoyed them more and would have connected with these characters more had they just worked like a class sequence in the guts of a match rather than these big sort of showreel moments that they were striving for. Like, I just don't think those landed in the way that they really thought they were going to on paper. Yeah, just a bonkers, bonkers match. And yeah, so gutting uh, after this that I, uh, it's saying to Siege, I, I genuinely forgot what came immediately after this because I was so just devastated with what happened. Although I've just made a note to myself to get Magic Spoon to sponsor Michael Hamlet's late night wrestling. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, what actually came next was uh, an interview with Pac. Or, well, it didn't actually happen because there was no Lucha Bros. Uh, and uh, he was complaining about the fact that someone had cancelled their car. In comes Andrade and Chavo Guerrero, uh, who revealed that they set up a limo for them. And Andrade recommended that Pac get better transportation for his associates or they'll work for someone who will. Anything you want to say about this, Sid? I realise we've got a lot to talk about today. No, and not particularly. And that's a pretty, like, um, this Andrade thing's just, well, it's a bit of movement towards a presumed six-man with mm. two partners who we don't know who they are, which side they're on, whatever. And yet, it's, it's just not particularly interesting on a show that virtually everything else is, which is an indictment. Underthought, too. Underthought, because a limo to the building to do what? This promo? Yeah, no. Like uh, that, the, the details. It might be on dark or dark elevation. We shall see. Aye, yeah, I suppose so. But, but a, aye. a caveat on it for yeah. now. But I'm still, yeah. Uh, we had the uh, FTW Championship celebration for Ricky Starks. Taz has got his own platform. He introduces everyone. There's a New Orleans uh, style brass band. Uh, Starks comes out, does his pose with the belt. God damn good with it. Uh, and he flanked by Hook. Uh, he cuts a promo saying he made history when he won the FTW title, got rid of some garbage in Brian Cage. He's been the anchor of the group whilst Cage was focused on being friendly on social media. Uh, and he talked about the fact that when he broke his neck, Cage didn't check on him. Cage is selfish, inconsiderate, and he's got no bloody charisma as well. Well, what he does have is big old muscles to beat the crap out of band members because he came out, interrupted all this, attacked everyone, smashed a bass drum over the drummer's head and uh, in the midst of all this, Starks legs it, of course, as Cage wants to fight and poses uh, in the ring as Starks poses on the ramp. They ruined his championship celebration. Uh, Hamfler, who'd have seen this one coming? Well, uh, yeah, everybody. A bit rubbish, this. Um, I will give them the benefit of the doubt is that you never know what visual gags are going to pay off and which ones are going to fall a little bit flat. Of course, I would think of a musical instrument example, but Braun Strowman breaking the cello, the double bass thing when he was trying to play it like a guitar as a good. Brian Cage bopping a bass drum over someone's head as a not so great. I, I think you have to try that stuff if you want to like shape a segment around it because some stuff's going to go down huge, go viral, be piss funny, whatever. It's a bit of fluff, man. Like, I think the crowd were obviously a bit deflated as a result of what happened to Hangman Page, but that's responding to the booking. So you can't, that, you're allowed for that dead crowd because they're devastated. It's the Undertaker's streak at WrestleMania 30, that type of reaction. Um, it's this is the opposite. I should have put that on dynamite. I should have put this on dark. You know, I just, yeah, like 
wasn't enough to this. There wasn't enough meat on the bone. I've got great concerns about Brian Cage as a baby face after this as well. Yeah, it was so pro-wrestling-y. Like, that's the only adjective you can use to describe this. So pro-wrestling-y. Like, bit of fluff, bit of fun that felt predictable. Like, everyone with a predominantly millennial audience that this company has, everyone's seen this sort of thing one million times. And because they've seen it one million times, it has to be particularly great to really get over. You goddamn knew you was going to spoil the celebration. The second you saw the gimmicks, you knew something was getting broken and it just didn't transcend the trappings of a segment like this. I'll put Starks over because I always do. It felt like he wasn't cutting the best promo of his life. And then he got one heckle and then he shut it down and boom, erupted in confidence. Someone said, we can't hear you. Yeah, without missing a beat. Someone said, we can't hear you. And without missing a beat, he said, yeah, you can't hear me because you're inbred. And then boom, the promo got on <laughs> But yeah, it, it, if you're writing this segment, and I pretty much did yesterday, so I can uh, understand why <laughs> they thought it would get over. You've got Taz cackling. That's always funny. You've got Starks cutting a great promo, yes. You've got various visual props with which to put over how powerful Brian Cage is. The root of the problem is Brian Cage is a babyface. Like, people like Ricky Starks more. They just do, in my opinion. You can tell by the reactions that we've seen upon the return to the road. And here's the thing, you can... You have to be really careful with your insults in pro wrestling because you can destroy people if they are too acute. Chris Jericho can be called fat or overweight or whatever by MGF. And it's fine because he can still go and he's a legend. I don't think you can call Brian Cage a charisma vacuum because it's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He kind of is. Um, (laughs) They could have just stopped that. Oh, he's an insensitive prick who didn't check on me, and he's a big dum-dum. Just fine, because you don't want Brian Cage to be at the epicenter of this really elegant mental health storyline. You want to see him beat people up, right? But, yeah, he's not the most charismatic of dudes, so you don't really want to say that, because it's like, uh, don't remind me of that when I'm trying to get behind him. Mm. Uh, This is okay. It was better on paper. I forgot to mention as well, Brian Cage, I think, ripped a trombone in half, which is an incredible visual as well. But yeah, it's something that has played out, we've seen before. And well, it, it, in the placement of this show as well, especially with what came before it and what came immediately afterwards, forgettable is the, is the nicest way of putting it, I think, Michael Sidrick, because what came next was a video from, let me just see if I've got his name right, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Have you heard of this guy? Shut up, man. <laughs> Shut up, man. I know that he's going to fight Archer on the New Japan show. There was a follow-up segment later on that suggests if they're mentioning Tanahashi this much, maybe they'll do stuff in New Japan and it's just a way across those bridges. And it's a, it's a bit of a thank you. you. We've used a lot of New Japan talent on the show. We're going to start giving back starting tonight. But here's the thing. If Hiroshi Tanahashi wrestles on AEW Dynamite this year... Three out of my four Mount Rushmore's yeah. might have wrestled <laughs> on Dynamite in 2021. Tanahashi Omega and Danielson. Jesus Christ. When I saw his face, I did this. And it's an audio medium, so I don't know what the hell I'm doing this for. I went, ah! <laughs> My arms yeah. just went up like the wall. I was, I was celebrating a goal. Like I was celebrating a goal. 
Like the St. James's Park on. Hamlet, you mad bastard. <laughs> so, oh, I get it. I've celebrated goals at St. James's Park. Three, <laughs> three of them. Um, no, like and six. <laughs> um, like John Moxley later on in the show, give us Hiroshi Arthur Ashi and put him against John Moxley. In oh my god. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> I the Cedric, can we talk? Can we bring in the John Moxley promo here, Will Bond? Because right, he's focused. Let's focus on the US title. Cedric, can we share an insight that you raised that I completely agreed with in the DMs or not? Are you comfortable with this if I talk about it delicately? About John Moxley? I go on. So you mentioned the bit you're going to mention. I mentioned the surly thing. Yeah. So Cedric noted that like John Moxley's getting pretty surly lately. And, you know, we're wrestling fans outside of when we're recording. We talk about it all the time. This is our lives. So it's like John Moxley heel turn coming. And then it's like, well... He has just had a baby, and maybe he's learning the price of that life choice. And he he's, no sleep whatsoever. He's getting no sleep. no sleep at all. Looking really tired, looking really angry. And it's like, AW does need top heels. And if anyone can tweak themselves, it's John Moxley. And a heel leaning John Moxley versus the great, like, last decade's baby face in the Roshi Tanashi on a in dynamite in a tennis stadium. Yes, please. Like, I just, he did it again. Like, Surly John Moxley was back out. That whole thing about, like, these goddamn Olympians can go to Japan and I can't. What's that about? And now Tanahashi challenges. I saw you with your stupid hair. Like, a man <laughs> jealous of people's hair. And Hiroshi Tanahashi's got gorgeous hair. Like, like, John, like all, of, all of his worst qualities coming out instead of his best ones. Just envy and jealousy and a little bit of greed. Like, he's tweaked it already. And it's like, right, well, you've sold me on Moxley Tanahashi. Put it in a big venue the line was so specific about the Olympians. He didn't just say, oh, the Olympians are over there. He said something like the Croatian rowing team get to go to Japan. <laughs> the, water, the water polo players. Like yes. he found a sport that he couldn't have less respect for. Like, awesome. That's not fighting. <laughs> uh, yeah, just a, a very exciting couple of uh, vignettes. This, this was legitimately Tony Khan just saying, right, okay, I'm on fire as a booker. I love this as much as you do. Have this. Have this. Have this. Have this. And I have you on the same night as Punk. Come on. You don't have a cock left. <laughs> <laughs> what followed was uh, Santana Ortiz versus FTR. Um, Ortiz and Cash Wheeler starts it off. Chain wrestling, as you would expect from these two. Um, Wheeler gets sent out to the floor. Um uh, Santana then hits the three amigos. Uh, Ortiz uh, gives him a, gives him a helping hand on the third one of those, and then they hit an assisted power bomb on uh, on Wheeler as well. Santana runs wild later on on FTR, sends Wheeler to the floor, hits a release back suplex on Harwood, catapults Harwood into the corner, takes out Wheeler with a dive, wonderful exchange and speed with all this. Harwood smashes Ortiz with a right hand, sets up for a superplex. Santana stops it. Uh, we'll talk about what happened to Cash Wheeler, presumably, in the midst of all this, because Cash was setting up to do a splash of Ortiz after he'd been superplexed, but that didn't happen. In the end, it was uh, Harwood having to finish the match off for FTR, because it looked like Wheeler uh, got a massive uh, cut on his forearm, getting it caught and the ring post and the turn, but horrible stuff. I uh, hope he's all right and uh, no update on whether he's going to miss any time, but 
I suppose seeing sounds weird saying this, but at least it was only a gruesome, horrific cut on his arm rather than a broken arm, small mercies and all that. So in the end, yeah, uh, Harwood basically has to finish the match off for FTR. Misdirection, DDT on Ortiz, takes out Santana with a baseball slide uh, and hits a brain buster on Ortiz for the for the finish, which clearly wasn't the original plan, but you know, got to make do with what you've got there. Hampler, what did you think of all this? I think there's two conversations to be had here. Um, the, obviously, the whatever was planned for the latter part of the match was devastated by the injury. And indeed, you know, hopefully it isn't a devastating injury. Hopefully, he can just recover. Looked horrifying at the time. And then, fingers crossed, things are going to be better. It's not going to be long term. Um, the second conversation is I don't think this was a very good match. And I don't think they were going to arrive at one. Um, I'll give them this. In hindsight, I, I say in hindsight, I feel like we covered this in the review a little in the preview yesterday. This was the wrong night for this match or the wrong match for this particular night when you've got a homecoming show at Daly's or you've got a million other awesome nights for this first time meeting. Um, so, you know, there's got to be a better day for the rematch, let's say. This wasn't working and I'm not sure what they were working towards. I didn't see the ring getting cut in half in a way that FTI used to be able to conduct crowds with effortlessly with their throwback style brought forward. Um, I didn't see Proud and Powerful showing off as baby faces earnestly in a way that they've never been able to in front of an audience before, except maybe a double or nothing in a completely different environment in stadium stampede. Um, and I couldn't understand why that was. Honestly, I, I didn't, a couple of high spots, fair enough, but like I, I was seeing more fairly like soft looking chain wrestling and like a series of disconnected moves. And I, I, I yeah, I, this wasn't going anywhere before an injury cut it short in front of a crowd that were fair enough, maybe a bit knackered off an opener still, maybe a little bit like tired from popping at the Tanahashi video. That's as well as maybe, but like a, a bad night all round is the only way I can think to describe this. I hate burying ambition and thought and application and passion. There was way too much of it from the builds to this match to the execution. The good news is that the injury suffered by Cash Wheeler will inform the rematch that has to happen if it can, in fact, happen. I don't think anyone was going to be happy with this in the aftermath. They've got fuel now to run it back, and I hope they do because they've put so much effort, maybe too much, into this that it kind of deserves something better. You've got an excuse to do it, so please do it because it shouldn't go out like this. But we've said for a long time, like, they're building and building and building this, and ultimately the build totally overwhelmed it before it even began. Because I'm watching this going, it's a decent TV, TV match, this. It could be better. I'm thinking it all along. It could be better. If they just said, we're going to do this in three weeks and do a little bit of a more reduced build, I think they were reaching for some kind of epic. And it's like, well, you're not doing it on pay-per-view. This is only going to go, what, 15 minutes? Like, they've had a problem with overbuilding stuff for a while. This build was far better than something like Miro and Kip Sabian versus the best friends. But I'm talking in terms of how much TV time is dedicated to it, to what you were going to get in the end result. It was kind of always going to be dwarfed by the expectations that they themselves invited onto what was always going to be like a 15-minute TV match. Um, I think what they're going for with the story, and again, I think this is where the ambition undermined it. I think they were going for Santana and Ortiz are a little bit savvier at FTR's game than they are. They were doing a bit more cut off his stuff. Uh, they were a bit more witty in their offense and how they chained things together. 
I didn't get the animosity. I didn't get either team really playing to their strengths. I just thought I was a little bit confused, really, watching this. I just felt it was all a bit muddled. I really hope they run it back by almost the second Cash Wheeler, God willing, is cleared. They probably, and, and I know why they built it for this long. One, they like doing that. Two, they thought there was enough story, and they did have a great one. Um, and obviously, it was held in the Carolinas, which is where FTR are from. It weren't really over. It's the oddest, mm. and honestly, like the lumest thing. They weren't like properly over. It really was a shame. It's a bad night for FTR. And you've got to feel for them because they're probably really gutted about it mm. as well. They should be like everyone else is getting these massive bonanza hometown reactions. They didn't. I just felt a bit sad watching this. But ultimately, I think that it wasn't on the main event. It wasn't in the opener that everyone knows Oh, huge importance is placed on this. They've curated this opener as this special slot. I think the placement of the match on the card, like the massive extent to which they built it, they were just overawed by the occasion, if you like. Um, I, not much else to say. I hope they run it back and I hope they just play it to their strengths. But again, I feel guilty reviewing it like this because so much thought got put into this and it all evaporated. Uh, Britt Baker promo talking about tapping out Nyla Rose despite having a broken wrist. She said uh, her and Rebel always uh, need extra help because everyone's gunning for her. I, I just sat there and thought, why aren't they just going fully-fledged babyface with Britt Baker at this point, Sige? Yes. Hamlet, take over. Say to the people what you said to me this morning. I wish so desperately they would lean in. You have got a heel shouting down the lens. And I know you people at home won't support me, which is why I need somebody to support me back here. While thousands of people at the top of their lungs buy a ticket to scream, D-M-D. I know that Britt Baker compared herself to Steve Austin. And for the longest time, Steve Austin said, I don't need these people. I don't beat Bret Hart up for these people. I beat Bret Hart because I want to beat Bret Hart up. This is not that time. This is not that place. She's not that wrestler got to lean into those chants it's becoming increasingly frustrating in a division is already badly booked and i'm going to hand back to sidgwick for what he said to me when we had our chat in the office about this in a division that is already badly booked and still failing its top talent you've got to give the people what they want in the hope that it elevates the whole thing you know like Britt baker was given that belt to try and lift this alien division up on her shoulders and this feels to me every week, as it did in the matches with how she was interacting with Reba and how it came across in this promo, like they're kind of swimming against that tide still. Yeah, what they... And, Cid- and Cidric has the reason, sorry, yeah, Cidric has the reason why, which I hadn't thought about, but I still think you've got to pivot. It felt like he was cultivating a division with the coronation of Britt Baker, women's champion, looming. If you look who was getting profiled um, on that show ahead of double or nothing. Ty Conti got a mini push. Where's that gone? I want to see more of that, incidentally. Red Velvet got a win over the Bunny. Chris Statlander got a win over the Bunny. Chris Statlander, I think, got a win over Penelope Ford as well. It felt like they were building some baby faces and applying some thought to how this division and how Baker's run was going to plan out and play out. So I think they are fighting against the tide that they've tried to create here by having Baker play heel, knowing that she's got way, way more baby faces than heels to work against. And it's it's just, it's so weird because not only is she contradicting what she's saying in her own promo by saying, oh, you people don't like me. And then she's leading them along with DMD. It's like, that's 
all over the place. <laughs> but it's just, it's an insult to me, the audience, for me to be told that I don't like this character. It's some proper WWE modern rotten era adjacent stuff. <laughs> but they're telling me something that patently isn't true. I'm not going to use the G word because it's absolutely woefully misapplied. But they are like telling me something that is completely untrue. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Before we go any further, though, this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now, we all carry around different stresses. They can be big life worries, or just, you know, little things like your favorite wrestler not being used properly. The thing is, when we keep them bottled up, it really can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. It is really helpful, too, for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. Therapy basically empowers you to be the best version of yourself. So why not give better help a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and best of all, suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash whatculture today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash whatculture. Well, let's move on to one of many CM Punk teasers on last night's show. We had the big announcement uh, that was revealed by uh, Tony Schiavone uh, that the next AW big live event, uh, well, not next, I suppose, but the ne- <laughs> the newest uh, one to add to the long, long list of these things uh, is AW Rampage's second show, Friday, August 20th. It goes down in the United Centre, home of the Chicago Bulls, as Andy Murray informed me this morning, in Chicago. It's going to be called AW Rampage First Dance. And as if that wasn't on the nose enough, Michael Sidgwick, we got a promo following this. Immediately afterwards, they threw to Alex Marbez. He was flanked by Darby Allen and Sting. Darby Allen said, AW is where people prove themselves, even if you are the best in the world. It's happening, Michael Sidgwick. It's happened. It's happened. He has signed. The ink on CM Punk's AEW contract is drier than NXT's TV show, okay? (laughs) It has happened. It has happened. And I can't wait for it to actually happen in storylines. Yeah, this is awesome. It's happened. And uh, as soon as the news broke, I got my fantasy nerd Mark booking hat on. And I'm thinking, this is an alliance-driven company. CM Punk is going to have a match to build to the match with Kenny Omega against the Elite. Who is he going to be drawn to? All right, the punk rock kid who doesn't drink or do drugs, who's already put over on Twitter. 
and who's that straight edge punk rock kid aligned with. We're going to get CM Punk and Darby Allen and Sting versus the elite to build towards CM Punk versus Kenny Omega. I was like, that's a dream scenario. And here's the thing about AEW is that they are realizing dream scenarios. And there was a hint of the first seed to that happening. CM Punk versus Darby Allen at either All Out or at Rampage itself, if they just want to do it. In an all baby face match, in the aftermath, they shake hands, alliances formed. And then somehow, some way, CM Punk enters the orbit of Kenny Omega. The elite beat him down. QG. The heat's going to be off the charts when this happens because CM Punk's going to be a folk hero until the novelty wears off, at least. And then Sting and Darby Allen are going to save him. And one little announcement that isn't even an announcement with this company gives you six months of television because mm. it's white hot and it's amazing when it peaks. Right, it's just incredible. Any any confirmation? Like CM Punk. What's that? You said just incredible. I was making a terrible. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you imagine him coming out and the shit you got a huge sign and it's credible on the ropes with his snow. <laughs> Tony Khan pays for the Uncle Cracker theme because it's a license thing. <laughs> I got everything I ever wanted and it ain't CM Punk. Um, <laughs> aye, unbelievable. Uh, this is perfect. This is the perfect pro wrestling tease because you are being told without being told and it doesn't get any better than that. Um, film a fan saying CM Punk and then have another wrestler say his catchphrase. That's, that's confirmation. Like, it's perfect. It's, it's better than the graphic. You know, it's better than the surprise pop on the night because now you get both. You get to sell uh, tickets to the United Center on what is a promise without actually having to promise it. Perfect. Perfect. Um, Darby Allen, all out, seems nailed on. Perfect again because Hangman Page is going to win that goddamn title and his buzz isn't going to be stolen by CM Punk's surprise pop that a lot of people wanted on that pay per view. Not that we didn't pitch something like this in a podcast, Will Bond. Remember that? Like the pay-per-view would have absolutely divided the crowd. Don't do that. Give them, just give them both. Brilliant. Even links up with how well timed the <clears throat> leaks were of the CM Punk news last week. You know, like all of this majestically managed because AEW understands how to uh, um, please and yet surprise its switched-on, plugged-in audience. So, like, a celebration of that, if, if nothing else, right now. Um, I was thinking, it's funny, Cedric went down the route of the elite. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a guy getting a lot of heat on this show and maybe working heel. CM Punk beating Darby Allen at the first attempt is really going to piss off Cody Rhodes, isn't it? And the original guy that wanted to change the industry versus the guy that did it and then hired him as a huge, huge autumn program for CM Punk. Like, oh, well done, Punk. You sat on a stage. Look what I did. I made a list and I went and did it. You know, like those promos, those incredible promos. We both knew it was wrong over there, but one of us actually did something about it, didn't we? And yet these people cheer you and they boo me. You wouldn't even be in these chairs if it wasn't for me. And there, you know, you're off to the races with Cody's heel character um, against the original iconoclast. It's, it's magic, man. It's magic. Fantasy book what you like and it's all great. That's it's what's great about this. Get vaccinated. Aye, get vaccinated <laughs> by a ticket. Get vaccinated, you dumb yanks. Can that be, because he's going to get a million anyway, because it's pro wrestling tees, can that be CM Punk's first t-shirt? Yeah. Like, straight edge is getting vaccinated. <laughs> the only way you can get it is by getting vaccinated. That's the way. Yeah. 
Uh, right, next up, it was the IWE. Look in my thighs. Sorry. <laughs> Four yanks are done, but 48% of them are so. <laughs> IWGP US uh, Championship match next. Lance Archer uh, defending against uh, Hikuleo. Flanked by friend of the channel, I think, maybe, <laughs> maybe not, Haku. Uh, great to see him out there, of course. Um, and they didn't waste any time, sort of, as we suggested on our on our preview yesterday. Very sort of, very quick in and out. Big moves sort of match this. Uh, Archer boots Hikaleo into the corner. Repeated clotheslines. Goes for the 10 punches in the corner, but uh, Hikaleo powers out. Power bombs him. Gets a two count. Uh, Archer comes back with some forearms. Hikaleo hits a power slam for another two count. They go to the break, at which point Haku goes... Is that Simon Miller? Gets involved, uh, sends Archer into the barricade. But as we come back, uh, Archer's recovered. He does his top rope walk, hits that amazing moonsault. Superplex as well for a two count. Uh, in the end, Archer hits the blackout on Hikuleo and defends the belt. Uh, he's going to go on and face Tanahashi. Um, it's all everything we needed from this, Sige. Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain style of pro wrestling reviewer that I cannot stand, right? I cannot stand. Can you hear me? It says, it says my internet connection's unstable. You're all good. No, ah, okay, my computer's a complete idiot then. There's a I was certain... say, is, that, is that an excuse you're about to bury me? <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain online pro wrestling reviewer that I cannot stand. Total hack, boilerplate stuff, the worst kind of analysis. I got this goddamn job to save you people from it. <laughs> Solid match. Can't have any complaints. See you next week for the exact same copy, right? Uh, this is a solid match and I've got no complaints about it. Right? <laughs> I just felt really nothing towards it. People will say this about like a really good match that's got really interesting work that deserves to be analysed in a way that I don't think pro wrestling media does enough in general to analyse what goes into these matches. This was a solid match that I have no complaints about that did try and pop people. Like, they did the big spectacle powerbomb. They knew what the dynamic was. Getting Haku was just yet more beautiful fan service. Like, this was a nice time that I wasn't blown away by at all. I wish uh, Jim Ross liked the main event storyline of AEW as much as he liked Hikuleo because like he was oh, burying so much, burying so much in that opener, and then like frigging Hikuleo locks on a headlock, and he's like, "This guy's going to own New Japan." It's like, all right, chill out. It's not a diva. Um, and then he called the match ball in shoe ugly, so he buried it by the end anyway. Like, make your mind up. Uh, I wasn't. I don't know Citric wasn't exactly jumping for joy with praise. I wasn't high, as high on it as Citric was, to be honest. I thought this was kind of bad. And uh, another um, pre-show misread of what you could realistically expect this crowd to get up for on a card that was so jacked that you also knew you had surprises baked in. Um, this was never going to climb above two stars. Um, and at, what, like eight minutes? I still thought it went a bit long and it dragged. This is what I mean. I think elements of this show were actively bad. And how can you be massively critical of a product that is hot? Like this was one of several examples because I, I, yeah, I, this, I, this feels like I want to see Lance Archer defend this title more in a New Japan show that I don't have to watch than a Dynamite I do. Let's call this what this was, in my opinion, a political favour extended towards New Japan Pro Wrestling mm. to get one of their prospects on television in a prominent spot 
in what is a natural byproduct of such a working relationship. You put John Moxley over via Nagata, you get Kenta, all the rest of it. Right, okay, well, we'll get one of your younger guys and give him some seasoning. That's what it was. I didn't really feel that offended by it, but nor was I thrilled like at all by it, really. Yeah, you uh, can't get a Tanahashi promo without this sort of yeah. every now and then, can you? Yeah, and like one is so much more important and thrilling mm. that the other just can't possibly get in the way of. Mm. Uh, speaking of seasoning, we cut backstage to the gorilla position and Cody Rhodes is there not to talk about his 11 secret herbs and spices, uh, but to talk about the upcoming <laughs> match with Malachi Black. But before he can do that, uh, he's immediately attacked by Malachi Black. They brawl up out onto the uh, onto the stage. Cody hits that uh, drop down right hand, uh, but Black fights back, hits him with a jumping knee on the ramp. Uh, backstage people and, and wrestlers and all come out to, to break it up. Uh, there's one person that the crowd likes here and his name is not Cody Rhodes. Uh, but, Hamflat, I'll hand over to you because I know you want to talk about this. In the midst of all this, Black takes off Fuego Del Sol's head with his spinning heel kick and, uh, well, the internet gets what it wants, I suppose. Yeah, he's not a Kentucky Fried Cody, but he's sure getting heat in the Carolinas, isn't he? Um, I took a bit of grief off Rap Mains on Twitter for <laughs> suggesting this reaction was mixed and maybe I have to bow to him and the rest of Twitter because it seemed to me like everybody else had deemed Cody the top heel in the company all of a sudden as a result of this programme. It is quite something that, you know, not everybody has to like Alistair Black or Malachi Black and yet it now appears as if, it, like, at least for the benefit of this angle, WWE have just let Hulk Hogan go to WCW, you would think, from the reaction that he got here in this particular segment against Cody. Um, sort of an incredible bit of business they've got on their hands here because this match isn't built off much. It's built off this, you know? It's built off big fights, big heated fights where you've positioned Cody way more as a um, backstage person, a producer. He's come out and interrupted commentators. He's been attacked at the gorilla position sat next to Tony Khan doing his, you know, doing his shoot job when he's not got the tights on, that sort of thing. That's all the story there is. Malachi Black hates shoot jobs, apparently, and he's going to beat Cody up for it. The fans love him. So you're probably going to have to lean in. Um, Me and Sujit were talking about this morning. Sujit, he kind of suggested that Jacksonville would probably be nicer to Cody, and you're probably right. Um, But is the long play now getting Cody over his heel? Is it going that because this angle feels like a gateway to it and I wouldn't have expected that at the start of all this so fair play to Black for bringing across those fans and like showing more than telling that he is a guy that people want to get behind they've got a money player in him yeah it's too early to tell if this is an aberration or not but Cody was resoundingly jeered I was shocked like I was shocked because they've played along with the alignments at the same time as being legit excited for Malachi Black so far I don't know if this is an aberration and again like Cody must be gutted by this it's like the Carolinas like he'll have a massive massive nostalgic and like just romantic connection given what we know of his Put that studio on the TNT title. What more do you want? I put that I'm freaking I'm house I'm on there. I felt I felt a bit sad for him, but um, look, he's he, better at being over than some of his other stuff this year, which hasn't been. Um, I have watched a lot of wrestling in my life. I have talked a lot on these podcasts and quite a lot of it on the NXT podcasts. Like I'm kind of done with. 
basic cooking and basic ways of building a match. Unless it's this, because this has just been <clears throat> performed so incredibly well that as rudimentary as it is, guy comes in, wants a scalp, fires up that baby face scalp because he doesn't think he's got the fire anymore and he just wants to make an impact, kick someone's ass who's really over and who's really much of a star and just totally make an impact stuff. It's so simple and yet it has been done so fantastically well. The brawls are hot. The fans are massively into it. It could not be plainer what the idea is behind all of this and possibly the results, but God damn it, give it to me. It's great. Yeah, really, really excited to see where they go next with this. Uh, particularly if they beat each other up so much that in the match, there's a double down. Hey, Cody. Uh, right, let's move on <laughs> and talk about Miro's promo because I really enjoyed this. Uh, he's going to be facing Lee Johnson, defending his TNT Championship next week. Uh, he put, he did the perfect thing. He put Johnson over and said, look, Johnson's really talented, but no one can take the divine right away from me. Uh, he talked about a glorious reckoning awake, Johnson. But I really want to talk about Sidge, the line. There are two things that motivate me in life. A vengeful God and a double-jointed wife. Spectacular. He's going through the synonyms now. And <laughs> it's funny, probably funny the first time. This was every mural promo you've heard in the past five weeks, but they're all great. So it's absolutely fine. Um, I enjoyed this enough, like I did. I think it's just because there's not much of a fight here to sell. He sold a fight, no. but it's not that great a fight to sell. So I think he was slightly undermined. But uh, Lee Johnson's great. But like, it's completely predictable. It feels like they've kind of put in a title match because he's due to defend the title, I guess, um, with a better opponent and with a stronger story. Like Miro's become the, um, the devil to John Moxley's 2020 angel. I think that's what these promos are. Yeah, I just... It's also realistic. Like, who's going to be putting their hand up going, can I face the Redeemer or whatever he's called now? And <laughs> the, the way you see, watch what some of his bloody offence. And yeah, I just, yeah, I can't get over how they've transformed Miro over the last, what, six months from someone that we were a bit indifferent, I think it's fair to say, about to, to this guy. Um, I still can't believe we're not the main event yet. We've still got two matches to get out of the way first. I was watching this going, get on with it. We've got a bloody no DQ death match effectively to get to. But uh, we had a trios match. It was uh, the HFO represented by Mark Quinn, Isaiah Casti, and Angelico, uh, brought out by uh, Matt Hardy, of course. And Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy, and Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt joining him at ringside, and Christian Cage. Um, early on in the match, Jungle Boy goes out to the floor, gets cheap shotted by Matt Hardy, who gets chased all the way to the back by not only Christian, but a one shoe wearing Marco stunt. And they uh, slag him off and not being able to tie his shoelaces on country. Uh, I want to talk uh, though about what happened with Luchasaurus here. Got great reaction, as we sort of predicted he would. Ran wild, uh, triple German suplex on the HFO. Uh, goes for a double choke slam on private party. They fight out of it. Uh, but in the end, Jungle Boy takes out Angelico uh, and Mark Quen. Frog splash and uh, from him and a frog splash from uh, Christian gets the victory for them. They celebrate Christian's high-fiving, kissing babies, walking around ringside, and he gets laid out by another member of the HFO, uh, the Blade, who uh, twats him in the back of the head with some brass knocks, basically. But this was arguably more about Luchasaurus, Amplet. It was. Um, 
the match played like a squash rather than something that was off the back of a story where Luchasaurus is the guy doing the squashing. And that was pretty cool. I, I do agree with that. Um, uh, I don't know. It's probably because it's the Hardy family stuff that it, it couldn't, it, like, it had such a low, low ceiling and Luchasaurus was trying to smash through that. And to a lesser extent, Jungle Boy and Christian, but you're, you're right to highlight it. There was very little else to this match. I was thinking about the the post-match after the fact as well. Um, Blade's got some more brass knuckles, so it doesn't matter that Orange Cassidy didn't make those. So I guess we can forget about that. It's a bit of a shame. I would have liked to have seen them build to like a cool orange punch with the knuckles that he's held onto, but it just, you know, happened upon some new ones. I'll need Blade and Christian to exist for the sole reason um, that Kenny Omega's name is still in Excalibur's mouth when Christian's in the ring. Let this be a functional win for Christian to get him away from these losers so that it can appear as if he really has outworked everyone and he's worked his way up the rankings and then the next three weeks we get Christian versus Kenny Omega for the title so that Christian can lose and then say right well my whole point was to outwork everyone and beat Kenny Omega for the title that hasn't worked out so I don't need to pretend to be your mates anymore you weird dinosaur freaks and then he turns on Jungle Boy and he shows his true colours that he was with these because they were helping him achieve his goal. And if he'd won the title, we could have stayed friends. But I haven't now, so I'm going to be awful to you losers. And I'm going to set up the Jungle Boy match for All Out or whatever. I hope it's that because I can't be arsed with Christian versus the Blade. I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's got to be for that long game rather than the continuation of this deathly dull short one. Like, oh, Gentleman's Three, if that. Building towards Gentleman's Three. Like uh, Christian Cage versus the Blade. I'm sorry, it sounds so boring. It sounds so inessential to my life. It sounds like something we're going to struggle to talk about in the preview, which is indicative of the fact that it's really difficult to care about this match. Look, I really enjoyed watching Luchasaurus because he got such a massive reaction in the early days of AEW. He was struck down by an injury. And just when he was kind of getting back in the mix, the pandemic happened. Um, so it was nice really nice to see that wasn't a great match wasn't even a particularly good one it was just there for some fun and I smiled because I was somewhat entertained by it I just want the same thing to happen I want Christian Cage to beat the Blade to lose to Kenny Omega and for Jungle Boy in an added layer of pathos to like do the nice guy thing because he's a nice guy baby face attempt to like go to Christian Cage oh look I didn't do it either like we can still team up and stuff. It's not the end of the world. And you go, yeah, it is a little punk. I don't have so many years left. You little hot bastard. You've got like 30 <laughs> years. I've got very few. Then do the singles match all out. Mm. Get to the point! <laughs> <laughs> For those wondering, Hangman Page, number one in the rankings. Jungle Boy, number two. Christian Cage, number three. Before last night's show. And obviously... It's a great have a show that's booked. <laughs> even if sometimes it's dry it's still so great to have a show that is booked as well as this is uh, video package for Nick Gage uh, he's going to murder Chris Jericho in the main event effectively long story short <laughs> we haven't got time to talk about everything uh, we also got a promo from the Varsity Blondes uh, for Julia Hart saying she's going to prove why she's one of the best athletes in the sport Thunder Rosa uh, talking about her first official match as an AEW roster member then we got it Thunder Rosa versus Julia Hart uh, Hart did get some offence in she uh, dodged out of the way of a corner drop kick hit a cartwheel clothesline but Rosa 
fights back, picks Hart's ankle, knee bar, Hart uh, just gets the ropes. And uh, Rosa eventually hits the corner drop kick via Thunder Driver for the one, two, three. Sid, anything you want to say about this? <laughs> How am I going to do that after that botch? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look. Straight out of a Calgary school in the 70s, that, isn't it? That is. Hard fuck. You ruined it, well, boy. You ruined it. <laughs> um, look, we said this is going to be a neat, tidy, hopefully very short win for Thunder Rose there and allow her, because Tony Khan's pretty cool, is a pretty nice dude, um, allowing her the pop of oh, Thunder Rose and she's actually here. That's great. And she got a big time pop, like a big, big pop. What can I say about the match? It was to- it was just an excuse for a pop. I, I understand people's advocacy and I agree with it for the most part to like very least when there's complaints of where's the women's match on the show, you put a women's match on the show. This match or even two matches like this are not the answer. And it's, it's not the answer to AEW's women's division problem. It's still not the answer. It wasn't the answer two weeks ago when it was Yuka Zakazaki and Penelope Ford. It's not the answer when Chris Statlander gets a standard quarter hour win or um, Jade Cargill or anybody else that they do this with every week. There are 50 million segments, interviews. Give them to the women. <laughs> tell some stories. Tell some in stories. You could have zero women's matches on this show, but if you tell three stories or you shoot three angles, then these matches are actually going to count for something. Thunder Rosa does an inset promo and says she's already the number one ranked, despite the fact she's only just been signed. So theoretically, Britt Baker needs to be looking over her shoulder. Meanwhile, Britt Baker has said she's looking out for heat or somebody to protect her. So there, based on the fact they've already had this banger match, is the, you know, there's a story there. There's something to actually discuss. So then have Thunder Rosa work again next week. But they won't do that. They'll instead book Ali and Layla Hirsch in an NWA number one contenders match. And then Thunder Rosa goes on pause again. Or stuff happens on Dark or Dark Elevation or whatever. We keep going back to this. It's not dynamite. Tell me three women's stories. and I don't even need to see one women's match and the yeah. division will be better for it. And they're just still getting this wrong. It's not entirely about representation, but it doesn't need to be about in-ring. And this match, this match did nothing for neither of them. You know, it wasn't like, it was like Julia Hart. John Pollock tweeted this. So I can't take credit. Julia Hart was born 10 days after the invasion finished in 2001. That's pretty amazing that someone that was born after that is on television and getting a chance and Thunder Rose is getting a welcome to AEW pop. It's not getting anybody over. Mm-hmm. They've got to think about how to get these women over because they give all the time in the world for the men to do it. Completely agree. Stop farting about, in summary. Uh, right, let's get to the... <laughs> it was the no DQ match between Chris Jericho and the maniac. That is Nick Gage. Gage mm-hmm. comes out. He's got his pizza cutter. He immediately sliced Jericho's arm with it. Like, I just thought, oh, so that, I mean, I already knew that was the way it's going to go, but it was just a, a reminder of, yeah, this, is, this isn't this is going to be your average no DQ match. Um, but Gage, uh, I think this often gets overlooked, is a, a wrestler too, in amongst all the, the violence that he brings. He, uh, he hit a superplex, he hit a falcon arrow early on in this match. Um Jericho, though, uh, reverses a uh, run, running boot into the Lion Tamer. Uh, MJF, who's on commentary, is screaming for Gage to get to the ropes, which he does, and then remembers, oh, yeah, it's a no-DQ match. So uh, eventually sort of pulls himself out of the ring. They brawl on the outside. Gage throws Jericho into the ring post, goes under the ring. 
Yep, there they are. There are the light tubes. Uh, thankfully, though, Jericho has got out of the way. He's uh, he's got Floyd the Bat from under the <laughs> under the ring, which MJF is furious. Why on earth is that under the ring? Um, Jericho surprises him with uh, with that and, and fights fights him off, but it's already been busted open at this point in the match. Gage uh, avoids a swing of the bat, fights back. And uh, yeah, carves up Jericho's forehead with the pizza cutter. I'm not sure if it was this point or it might have been later on in the match. Regardless, at some point we went to a break. Everyone will have seen this on social media off the back of Nick Gage slicing Chris Jericho's forehead open with a pizza cutter. Well, an advert for Domino's. Get yourself a slice today. Just <laughs> wonderful uh, serendipity of it all. Um so during this break, uh, Nick Gage has gone under the ring and he's, well, he, not just him, he grabbed some bloke and told him to help him with it, basically, getting out a, uh, a plate of glass, sets it up in the ring on some chairs. He uh, He's going to uh, throw Chris Jericho into it or superplex him into it. Jericho, though, uh, fights him on the top rope. And then, no, sorry, he's not going to superplex him. He's put him underneath it and Gage is just going to dive through it and all the glass is going to shatter onto Chris Jericho's face. But Jericho pops up, uh, hits a top rope hurricane runner, sends Nick Gage through the glass. Uh, that doesn't put him down, though. Jericho goes for a code breaker, but Gage catches him and just slams him into the glass. And then we get the light tubes. Uh, he smashes them over Chris Jericho's back, just straight into his face, effectively. Uh, he gets a pile driver on Jericho for a two count. And then just to add insult to serious injury, uh, snaps a light tube and starts stabbing Chris Jericho in the forehead with it. Gage, again, gets more light tubes. They're like taped together in a bundle this time. He's going to just completely finish off Chris Jericho and, potentially legitimately murder him. Uh, but Jericho missed him for, for a while. I genuinely thought uh, that was just a pool of blood that had collected in Chris Jericho's mouth from how bad he was bleeding over his forehead. But no, it was the the, the mood of mist. Uh, he does that, smashes the tubes over Nick Gage's head and hits the Judas effect for the one, two, three. We'll divvy this up, lads. We'll talk about MJF's reaction and what we're heading to next week afterwards. For Michael Hamlet, oh, it was a bloody old no DQ match, wasn't it? It was. I, I'm, uh, I'm not MDK all day. Maybe MDK about five minutes, and then I started to like really tire of this. I know we, some me and Cedric, back back and forth because I'm probably too soft and he's too much of a ghoul, and maybe there's a meeting in the middle. But like, I was a little bit bored. Like this wasn't. I loved Nick Gage and Matt Cardona because I thought they worked it, you know, um, and the characters made so much sense to me. Chris Jericho in this context didn't really make sense to me. I understand that it's a labor of Jericho. So he's putting himself through something, you know, and I, and I, I got that, but I'd gotten it well earlier because I don't think it was particularly well worked. And this is me trying to understand the art form of a death match to know that they can be well worked and escalation and everything else, um, which they did with the weapons, but I just thought it's like dragged. Um, that's my criticism because I will say this um, because there's going to be weird divisiveness about this match and ultimately it comes down to people's tastes more than they're willing to admit some people love it some people hate it and I'm not sure how relevant all that is AW are really going in hard on like blood stuff and hardcore stuff you've had two weeks in a row where you've main evented with stuff that for the longest time couldn't even make it onto pay-per-view in North America and now it's happening every people are bleeding all the time all over the shop blood and guts was the main event the titular main event of a huge dynamite etc 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 um 
last week did a massive viewership and huge, um, a huge win in the demos for them again. If this does the same, they've spotted something that is objectively working. And if the network are happy with it, and if the audience is tuning in for it, then that's why it's happening. There is a business reason for guys to smash themselves up in, in my opinion, artless matches, but in the opinions of plenty of people watching, reasons to tune in next week. So you've got to apply a bit of objectivity to this. This could be something that people have been like clamoring for in an era where it's simply not existed. So more power to them if they found that. I thought this was pretty boring. Um, yesterday, I talked about Kingston and Warhorse. Nick Gage fell right in the middle of that. And they might have a special attraction, surprise announcement wrestler on their hands with him once in a while. Um, I don't think there's much more in it, personally. What did you think, Michael Sidgwick? Are you a member of the MDK community? <laughs> <laughs> All day. All day. Um, I think he's done an awesome job of turning his life around. I think it's a truly inspiring, compassionate story in all of that. And I thought this match was tremendously well done, dot, 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 by the end. Let's face it, watching Nick Gage work a traditional wrestling match is counterintuitive to what it's all about. It was a bit boring. And then when, when they decided to get the plunder out, it took ages to assemble everything. <laughs> There's an art to the plunder match. Um, I might work on a project. And it's overshadowed, overshadowed as it is by the fact that Jim Havoc's in it. God damn it. Remember the All Out 2019 Cracker Barrel Clash? Oh, God, Why? that's so good. So awesome. They do the weapon spots and build them so seamlessly that it just involves you completely and it builds and builds and builds. Like, they do the spot where Havoc ugh, monkey flips Janella, who's in the chair, and Janella lands on the chair. Awesome spot on itself. And then he waves to the audience, like, on I great? Paper cut to the mouth. And the chair's there. And you're thinking about where the chair is to build the next spot. And, like, a minute later, Janela recovers, brain busts him in the chair. And it's so class because you haven't seen him just get a chair and position it or whatever. This didn't have that for half of it. But when they got over there with the obligations of getting the weapons out, I thought this was class. Like... I don't want to say all is because they did craft spot to spot. I did genuinely get the shock when Jericho took that first bump from the code breaker attempt. I thought that was really well done. The Hurricane Rana was just gratuitously class. But the tension and the intrigue build, as these things should do, and you've got the benefit of Chris Jericho working in this brand new context, of course. But, oh my God, he's not just done the one bump that you have to do because you're advertising the gauge. Like the peril of like the repeated light tube smashes and light tube smashes and light tube smashes. What I loved about this match, which got me from liking it to loving it by the finish, was the finish. I tweeted about this. The mega fans will forgive me. What they've done, and because there's so much else to talk about, Punk, Tanahashi, Hoovy, Yuvi, what they've done is over the past two weeks, they've beaten cleanly John Moxley and Nick Gage. Like the two guys who are like invincible badasses who can take any amount of punishment. And neither of them have lost a thing in getting beaten cleanly because they are so good at crafting the finishes. And the finishes are the most important thing. It's all well and good hyping people and building things and all the rest of it. I was loving this finish because what you've done is with something they've never done on AEW, 
with a way that can take down anyone is they've beaten Nick Gage very well in the middle of the ring. Loved the finish. The start of the match was just a bit boring and dumb. The escalation was done really well. A lot of it worked precisely because of who was in the match rather than the work in the match itself. But, you know, play with that. You've got a great idea. You've done the job by coming up with a match graphic. Um, I thought it was class, and I thought it was nice to see. Got a bit of pity for Nick Gage as well, which I never thought I'd feel, because, yeah, looking for glass, which is see-through, under a ring in the midst of a match. Understandable. He was like, where the f*** is it? So, yeah, fair play. But let's talk about what happened immediately afterwards, Sid. Uh, you alluded to it there, MJF. Uh, I just love the dynamic of having him on commentary and him going, one, two, right, okay, here we go. Let's just, let's get, get him in the mic, we'll sort out number three. He just never gives Jericho a chance to even drink in. This, it, you know, Judas has barely just started playing. And then he jumps on the mic and says that Lehman number three <laughs> is that Jericho, it, it is the opponent, of course, but it's also the fact that uh, the winner has to hit a move off the top rope to win. He knows exactly what he's doing. It was alluded to, I believe, in a Michael Hamlet list that may well be coming out, voiced by one of our brilliant presenters on this channel very soon. And he uh, showed a clip all the way back from November 2019. Remember, life was normal back then. Um, and they talked uh, talked about whom to Guerrera in a promo. Uh, and AMJF sort of negged him. And uh, Chris Jericho told him to go back and watch the tape effectively. And MJF said, oh, I have. And I'm bringing back, uh, you know, a threat from your past. Juventud Guerrera is coming to AEW. He will be Chris Jericho's third labour, as well as the fact, as I said, he's going to have to go to the top rope, Michael Sidgwick. This is all kinds of genius, but let's face it, there's a good chance he doesn't turn up. <laughs> you know, he's, he, he's very um, mercurial professional wrestler, um, just to be... Um, uh, euphemistic there like this is all so goddamn genius and it's so goddamn genius on like a number of levels first of all MGF has kind of created the perfect episodic TV wrestler he is by the being this master manipulator he was so good at building his storylines he has presented himself as someone who creates weekly episodic intrigue with virtually every single thing that he does because of the way in which his character operates he doesn't really have to wrestle that often. So when he does, he's a special attraction. And this is reflected in his demos. He is a draw. And he just never gets tired of the shtick. And this shtick for me already, it doesn't quite have the main event personal heft of Cody versus MGF, but it's equally as intriguing for me. I'm in love with the storyline on the back of this next labor. It's utterly class. The wildness, the insane quality of it's like it's pitched somewhere between the forbidden door and what Joey Janela did with GCW with these ridiculous match graphics but like on a major league level that's perfect for the TV vehicle that's perfectly in character and what I mean by that is this is a labour of Jericho he's not fighting some washed up guy who can still probably go a bit at 46 but if you go back and they do go back with all the storytelling it's wonderfully captured by the the roll the footage deal with the um, 2019 segment. If you go back to the very beginnings of this company, double or nothing 2019, Omega and Jericho, the match is nowhere near as good as the Wrestle Kingdom match. But what they do to establish Chris Jericho is, oh, he's not like the, the junior looking guy in WWE who was so charismatic, he got himself to the upper mid card and sometimes the main event. They booked that match and they laid out that match between Jericho and Omega 
where Chris Jericho would put on mass. He was trained to be a heavyweight. He had a new finish with heavyweight stopping power and the Judas effect. And all the while, he's out-muscling Omega in this match. The idea is he's a new Chris Jericho. He's a heavyweight tippy-top main eventer because he's going to win our title and he's going to bring in the crowd and he's going to act as a bridge to any sort of curious viewers. He's a heavyweight. They got that foundation of American TV wrestling perfect. And now, because he's a heavyweight, shall we say, MJF's a little bastard and he's thought, oh, he can't do anything off the top rope anymore. This is legitimately like a class bit of long-term storytelling, about 25 years in the making, much less two. And it's an actual labor. It's not just a fun thing to do. Chris Jericho is a proper heavyweight now. And as a result, he can still do the missile dropkick, but what else can he do on the top rope? And uh, just to add to that, Hamlet, uh, there was uh, people already speculating about the fact that Jericho, you know, brought back the pain maker for this match with Nick Gage. Lionheart potentially could be making an appearance when he faces Hoovy. And I've neglected to mention, expertly weaved into the promo that was cut by MJF was another nod to CM Punk. Chris Jericho, as you lay there, hopefully in as much pain as you possibly can be. Just, just spectacular conclusion to this show. Oh, fantastic. I mean, that's great fun, isn't it? Because they've already given you that confirmation. And then all of a sudden you start entertaining the idea that CM Punk might be the last labor. He's not going to be probably, but you know, why not? Why not just play with that? Because you can. Um, yeah, Chris Jericho, I think we mentioned this a few weeks ago um, about the prospect of him having no choice but to work through his old gimmicks, potentially. Um, it would be quite nice if he put on the Lionheart tights next week and then turns out all week he's been practising. I mean, it's going to be daft, isn't it? It's going to be a 450 or a shooting star press. That's what's happening. Chris Give him a week with a crash mat and he's going to he's going to try. I'll tell you what as well. This is some really good carny in from Chris Jericho. It struck me on this show and it should have, should have spotted this a long time ago because I've normally got a good eye for this. That's why Kevin Nash and Jeff Jarrett are two of my all-time favourites. Chris Jericho, once a week, is showing you five different versions of the matches he can work while they plug his book that you can't buy on Amazon that has chronicled every match he's ever had. Like, absolute legendary workshoot, workshoot brother. Like, from one of the all-time best to ever do it. So I've got to, like, put him over for that, because that's pretty inspired. Oh, yeah, like this death match. See when else I did it in, you know, a different point of my career. Like this match with Hooven, too. Look what happened when I did it on Nitro in 1998, whatever. Inspired. Um, I, he's going to practice 450 or a shooting star and he's going to do it. It's going to be it's terrifying because he, he nearly tombstoned himself off his own lion salt, but he's going to try. He's going to try. Like, it's going to be class. Um, and then that allows you to think, well, okay, is this land storm thing going to happen? And are we going to see Chris Jack, like the thrill seekers explode and he's not going to want to fight his best mate, but he can beat him and he knows he has to. Um, I still think the Sammy Guevara match is the last labour because it's been putting him through death matches. It's been putting him, it's been trying to embarrass him in this Hooven match. It's been giving him a difficult match against his mate, which hasn't really worked out in um, <laughs> Sean Spears. Uh, it strikes me that Sammy Guevara is the last one because it's the emotional one. You are going to have to elbow your best friend and prodigy in the face. And that's the cruelest thing that MJF can do. Like all they've done is to, like, he's going to beat Hoovy. And it's not about the result. It's about now thinking about these, very, like what they can do for these last labors. Brilliant. I love the idea of Landstorm, but the story would require him to emote. So, well, I, what about if Chris Jericho, because he has to do a high spot, um, injures his leg, and then Landstorm works around just trying to like get him in the, the clover leaf, get him in the like single leg maple leaf that he used to do because Jericho's going in with a bad wheel. As long as it doesn't rely on his facials and some kind of <laughs> yeah. backstory of friendship, like Jesus Christ. 
Oh, and yeah, Lance Storm, Lance Storm loves books. So which one does he come out with in his hand? Oh, I've been reading this, Chris, for homework. It's not great. <laughs> and then if Chris Jericho's career does come to an end, as some rumours are being circulated, uh, Lance Storm can write the orbit. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be very deeply heartfelt. He can nail those things in like 280 characters. <laughs> well, let us know your thoughts on uh, on AW Dynamite. Fight for the Fallen. Uh, just a wild show, as we said. So much to cover. Uh, apologies if we've missed anything, but uh, I think we've generally covered it, gents. Um, yeah, great show uh, with just some mad bits and lots to look forward to going forward yet again from AEW. Let us know your thoughts on Twitter at uh, what culture WWE watch they can follow all three of us you can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick and follow me at Adam Wilborn follow us all at what culture WWE as I said and make sure you subscribe <laughs> to what culture wrestling wherever you get your podcast from for daily wrestling podcasts of course but this has been the AEW Dynamite review my thanks to the Dadly Boys thank you for joining us and we will see you soon even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.